0: Welcome, this talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.
1: Okay, everyone, hello, if you could hear me. If you're on Facebook Live, hello. If you're on Zoom, hello. And um, (laughs) oh, good to see everybody. All right. Even my dog is watching. I hear this is nice.
0: <laughs>
1: um, okay. So I am now unmuted on Zoom. I don't know if if I was unmuted before, but um, hi everybody. So so happy to be here. Um, I'm just gonna just kind of allow a couple minutes to pass so people can join and then we can go into our our sit but uh but thank you so much to everyone for for jumping on and keeping our community and our sangha going uh, it's so uh important right now and and so wonderful that we can meet like this if we can't meet in person and it really does have a heart connection even just seeing people's faces and it's just really beautiful. I know on my end, and I'm sure everyone feels the same. That that connection is is um, able to keep going. Yeah. So throughout the the talk, feel free to uh, submit any any questions, comments that you would like me to address at the end of the talk. Uh, it's wonderful to. Keep that up that opportunity to hear each other's voices and, and to ask questions and and whatnot uh, i really miss that part i really miss being able to go into little dyads and triads and and really and really talk at some point i know zoom does have <clears throat> breakout uh, breakout groups and so that might be something that we look into in the future because i think that would be great to have little breakout sessions and and everyone get to chat a little bit. So, so today we're going to be talking about growth uh, in times of change. That's the title today, growth in times of change. And this is pointing towards uh, not only treading water through these times, but actually using these times as a way to uh, to grow more resilient. <clears throat> and I think first uh, before I get into, into that topic, this is just something else I was thinking about this morning was I've been noticing that when I come up come up, uh, upon people uh, when I'm when I am out in public these days that there's a contraction inside of myself because it's obvious we need to keep social distancing <laughs> and what i'm thinking and what i'm concerned with is that over time we could actually start to to change our relationship with how we see human beings and how we see each other and kind of a theme of this talk is that i want to, us to all pay attention and i'm really trying to pay attention to the long lasting effects of how our mind states are right now and to realize that how our however our mind is now, and how it's going forward in, in, in each moment, it, it, it only knows habits, so it carries with it this momentum, right? It carries this momentum of, of whatever habit is, is coming up in, in the present moment. So we just did a, a loving-kindness practice, and so when I've been seeing people out and about, to keep that inner connection to keep that connection with with individuals just saying a little bit of loving kindness you know towards them rescinding sending some loving kindness towards them may may you be happy may you be well and this has been especially challenging when so, when people are not um respecting the social distancing i've been surprised by a couple people um I was just surprised yesterday. I was out. I had to go out and about and whatnot, and somebody you know came up on me really close and whatnot, or just out in public. You can see people might not be respecting it, and and so there's this sense of aversion where we're looking at a human being and as maybe a possible host of a virus instead of just like this human being, and so inwardly remember to cultivate this sense of kindness, and maybe even visualize. Like I know for me, really visualizing that you know I'm, I'm still at sacred roots you know don is here with me but i'm visualizing this room being full, filled up with everybody like everybody's here and we're and people are coming through the door and i'm able to greet people how they would like to be greeted like people are hugging if they have that that relationship with each other and whatnot so really holding holding this in our hearts that we're still human beings that we still love connection, want connection, and that everybody is is there um, as possible um, ways to connect in all these different you know possible possible ways. So that's just kind of a off topic, but uh, important, I think. Yeah. So being resilient in these times, growing in these times. Being mindful not to touch my face. <laughs> oh, that's something awesome, right? That we could all be mindful of, uh, like, how often we want to touch our face and these habits that we're looking to break. So silver line, not linings of mindfulness during this time for sure. So I want to start off by talking about the need for resistance on a path in general. So in general, we really need resistance and in fact we cultivate resistance by going on retreat by sitting in meditation we're cultivating this 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 uh, resistance we're cultivating situations that might bring up resistance i should say i've been going for a run lately and i'm not a runner but it's just something that i could do in, in this time i usually go to the gym but there's no gym so i've been running and since i'm out of shape and i'm not good at running um it's It sucks to put it put it bluntly and um but I've been noticing that I've been learning a lot more about myself in the times when it's a struggle, so you know it starts off pretty easy and then it becomes a struggle, and a lot of stuff comes up, and then I'm learning how I relate to that, and it really reminds me of being on the cushion, and I learn the most about myself when I'm on the cushion and I don't wanna be on the cushion maybe any longer. Um, I have some resistance uh, to, to staying on the cushion and I'm working with what comes up. Or maybe I have a really strong irritation coming in from the outside. This is causing an internal stir uh, on the inside. Or also my resistance to getting to the cushion for like not wanting to do it, having some resistance there. So this is the time that we learn the most about ourselves, learn the most about our practice, and learn how to use the practice to overcome whatever is arising. So it's important that we look at this time as a way of noticing that this is a time that we could have resistance coming up, and we could use it to have a deeper understanding of whatever it is that we're trying to overcome. So whatever is arising, um, this is a time to look at it in a beneficial way. When things are going very smoothly, it's very easy to move into distraction. It's really easy to move into uh, just non-practice, you know? It's just like, oh, I'm just gonna go about my day, go about my life, what, whatever. I don't really need to practice. I don't need to really look at anything. It's very easy to do that. When things become challenging, what we mean by that is that they become strong in our awareness. In other words, we can't, we can't move away from it. Like Pema Chodron, says, you know, the wisdom of no escape, you know. This becomes apparent when, when something is arising and we have no escape. So if we could put ourselves in those positions, which is what we do when we're on the cushion, we kind of put ourselves in a position of no escape. When we go into retreat, this is what we're doing. When we, when we go into the cushion and we say, oh, I'm going to stay here for 20 minutes or whatever it is. And then there's a sense of whatever comes up, I'm going to have to meet it with some sense of skillfulness and, and and hopefully learn how to work with whatever is arising within me in more and more wise ways, more and more compassionate ways, so I can be at, at ease with whatever comes up. And so as practitioners, we're, we're seeking that out. This is what taking refuge is and the entire practice is. is we are leaning into the sharp points. We're no longer running away. So we have practiced this over and over and over again. When things are coming up, we're just being with them as they are. And so just like in, in an exercise uh, analogy, again, we, we use a weight. That weight causes, has resistance, and we're using that, uh, that resistance to grow stronger and stronger muscles to build our endurance and whatnot. So we're using whatever is arising, those challenging things in, in life, we're using that to get stronger, more resilient as human beings, right? and we are relying on our practice to do that. My notes here. So, you know, dur- during this time to to kind of to manifest uh, this resilience, what I'm thinking, what I'm seeing more than anything is that we need hyper vigilance. So this is really a time that, uh, for people that already have a spiritual path, it's a time to take the foundational elements and, and the, the basics of the practice. And what I see is just really doing them better. <laughs> and maybe just with more more effort. Instead of trying to learn something new at this time, can be maybe somewhat difficult. And we don't really need to. The very foundational elements of the path are so beneficial right now. And like I mentioned, saying um, about um, our relationship to other human beings, that we have to kind of really, really watch our mind now and see how it's being transformed during these times and what direction that it's taking. It is a time to be hyper-vigilant with our awareness because right now we may be be, uh, setting a new program in the mind, if you will. So there's a collective... um, trauma may be happening or a collective, there's, there's definitely collective stress that we know this. And so where the mind is at in the present moment is really, really important. We have to, to uh, pay attention to paying attention in, a, in maybe a greater way than we have in the past. Um, for, for example, like a child always needs to be looked after so let's say a child, a three-year-old child, a two-year-old child can't be left alone. So the mother always has vigilance on this child. I was at a situation, I was in a pub, uh, at a public pool, and there wasn't that many people there. And there was this two-year-old child, and this child was around the pool. And everyone, I noticed that everyone was watching this this child because... This child was fragile, you know, because <laughs> it could fall into the pool at any time. And it did. It actually almost drowned. It it slipped. So it was kind of hanging on. The mother was sitting right next to the child. It was hanging on to the edge of the pool. It was kind of floating there. The mom's kind of holding it up. And then the mom was talking to her friend. And the the baby slipped off the side of the pool and went under the water. And the mom was super fast, like grabbing the baby pulling out of the water and whatnot. But I noticed everyone was watching because everyone saw it and everyone gasped. Like, oh my gosh, look it. Watch out. So there is hypervigilance there. Even though the baby always needs to be looked after or the child, there's hypervigilance at that time. We need hypervigilance now. And that's the mindfulness. Mindfulness is a hypervigilance. Watching really, really closely. Where is the mind? So, when we watch where is the mind right now, we have to look if it's futuring, if it's catastrophizing, or if it's staying in the present moment. But then notice where it is and immediately bring it back. This is not a time for lackluster practice in any, in any way. It's not the time to be lackluster, not, not to do like half ass meditation, half ass you know, awareness, half ass loving kindness. It's not the time. So right now is a time for, for lots of concentrated, uh, effortful practice. And it starts with awareness. It starts with becoming awake over and over and over again. And the, ste- the second step of this is when you recognize where the mind is at. The second step would be to immediately come back to the moment, to what is real. I've said this every single talk in the last few weeks. <laughs> we have to stay with what is, what is real, and I'll just keep repeating it. Because what is real is not the next moment. What is real is not what might happen next. What is real is not where it might be heading. None, none of the what-ifs. We have to prepare for the what-ifs and, and live with what's, what's real. What's real is what's inside of you. If we're looking outside, this is, in, in a very ultimate level way, this would be a, a dreamlike yeah, in an ultimate level way, a dream world. What is inside of us, this is more the truth of what is, what's inside. But more importantly for that than that on a mundane level is we only know what's in the moment. We only know just this. So we must stay with what's known. And then the third, the third thing that we must must keep top of mind is to meet with whatever we're finding with a sense of openness, with a sense of at easeness, with a sense of loving kindness, with a sense of compassion. Because there's so much self-grasping right now. And again, like always, but it's just really apparent right now. It's this grasping mind and it's grasping for um, protection of self. And so the fastest way to move into the realization that there's no permanent fixed self, that we're all connected, there's no individual self. The fastest way, because emptiness is really hard for most of us, to understand and to experience, what we can do is we can move into a loving kindness practice. What we did today. So this really helps with whatever the mind is is looking to hold on to or have an aversion towards. So whether we see this craving mind arising or we have or we have this aversion arising. If we meet it with a sense of openness and loving kindness, then we can then it can be able to lose its grasp. So we need awareness first. We need to come back to something that's stable. And then once we find some stability, then we can meet what with meet whatever we find with some loving kindness. And loving kindness is an energy, it's not a word. You know, it's not loving kindness isn't like the the love in the way that we think of it is because most of the time we're thinking of attachment when we when we think of love, but love as an energy is expansiveness. We can really feel into the energy of loving kindness. It's 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 an opening. Love is extremely resilient. There's probably there's nothing more resilient than the energy of love. Also this this energy of loving kindness it's the, the the non the non fear energy. So if you think of anything that fear is, it's it's contracting, it's um, it's separating. And I think it's so interesting with fear, like you know, hearing people buying buying guns and this and that. I mean, if you buy a gun, there's just this massive, you know, no, no offense to people who buy a gun, I guess, but but man, there's just this idea of separateness. I'm I'm going to protect myself from something else. It's, it's this idea of separateness. So love is expanding. Love just feels safe. But it's so important that we can't get to love without a stable mind. So in the practice, we have the shamatha and the vipassana, but we cannot have the shamatha, the concentration piece. We have to have that before we can get to the love piece the mind is all over the place. Like many of us, you know, the mind can be all over the place right now. Everything's changed. And for some it might feel like a new normal. Maybe some of us are coming into a, a place of actually more routine and more at ease. And if you are, awesome. It might you might be feeling like it's getting kind of building up and it's kind of getting harder. Everyone's gonna have a different different experience. And things are constantly changing, so jobs and situations, the longer this goes on, it's shifting and changing. The skill sets of how you are are meeting it don't necessarily change. The skill sets don't change, but your skill on how you're meeting these changes can get stronger and stronger. Waking up. Just by waking up, you're not following those thoughts. If you're not following those thoughts, you're not catastrophizing. Huge. Even if you took away the catastrophizing part, look, feel like how good we would, we would be just with that. Just the negation of the catastrophizing part. It's huge. Then what if you can come back to the simplicity of the moment and just be with just this moment? I'm just sitting here talking. You're just sitting there listening. What if you gave yourself that gift? What if you gave yourself the gift of don't know mind? I don't know what's going to happen next. What about that gift? What about the gift of loving kindness? So I'm going to read a little something. Um, So this is from Pema Chodron. So many of you know that one of the classic Buddhist works of our time is When Things Fall Apart uh, by Pema Chodron. And, uh, it's highly recommended at any, at any time to, to read that book or read that book again. Um, and if you haven't read it, this would be a, a great time. To, to read it. So this is, I was just actually going through that last night and something came up uh, that I want to read. So this is on fear. This is what she's, she's talking about intimacy with fear. It's a whole chapter and I believe it's one of the first chapters is intimacy with fear. And I love that when, when we're looking at, um, these challenges, the first thing that she points to is creating intimacy instead of running away, is to is to move in. And only by moving in can we start to understand and, and overcome. We don't need... Hold on. I think I missed the beginning part. Um, we habitually spin off and freak out whenever... The, there's even the merest hint of fear. We feel it coming, and we check out. It's good to know we do that, not as a way to beat ourselves up, but as a way to develop unconditional compassion. The most heartbreaking thing of all is how we cheat ourselves of the present moment. Sometimes, however, we are cornered. Everything Everything falls apart, and we run out of options for escape. At times like this the most profound spiritual truths seem pretty straightforward and ordinary there's nowhere to hide we see it as well as anyone else better than anyone else sooner or later we understand that although we can't make up we can't make fear look pretty it will nevertheless introduce us to all the teachings we've ever heard or read I love that last line. It'll introduce us to the teachings. And there's something very profound in that. In that until something like that comes up, a lot of times we can skirt around the teachings. We don't need to look at everything head on. But it's when something like this comes up that we actually have an opportunity to see things that we might have been able to Say, okay, even in my practice, I'm going to go up to this point. But I'm not going to go anywhere beyond this. I'm going to feel pretty safe right here. So I'm not going to take this, this whatever's arising. I'm not going to take this to task. But then there are things that arise and we can't go away from it. Sometimes we have to go through it. And again, like I always mention when I'm talking about these things, about looking directly at things. It's okay to honor your coping mechanisms if you can't look directly out at things. But also too, the more that we can look at whatever is arising with non-judgmental, compassionate awareness, we're able to see the true nature of whatever is arising. And most importantly, during this time, to take a look at, at the observer, take a look at what's looking, take a look at the knower. And this is what we mean by checking back in with awareness over and over and over again. Because what is out, what is out there, what is what is arising in the contents of our awareness is pulling so hard. It's so seductive, right? It's always grabbing. And our seat, our place, our place of say uh, place of power, you know, but the place it really truly is is place of power, the seat of power is getting pulled away. We're getting off center, getting pulled in. And so every moment we wake up with awareness, we take a seat back into calm, to something that's at ease, something that's just present with presence. And we can move just like we used to move. We can continue to move and to act just as normal. To prepare, we do all those things, but we do not need to do that with hope and fear. It's just like this. And this moments like this, and fear is like this, and frustrations like this, and catastrophizing minds like this. And it's all okay. All of that's that's okay. All of that can be held with awareness, with loving kindness, with the moment. All of that's okay. All right. So, as we're moving along, just want to reiterate if you guys have any questions, are any questions coming through here as of, so far? No. Um, So I want to talk a little bit more about concentration and maybe we could do a practice together. This is one thing that I find maybe the most challenging part of the practice is the inability to have a focused mind more than just a few seconds. And talking about this there's these kind of two two types of stability one is this the more of the endurance aspect of the mind and this is the aspect of the mind that continues to come back to the moment continue, continues to come back to what's real so the part of the mind that's aware of awareness and is triggered by whatever's happening in life to come back and turn the mind on itself so this is more of like the endurance practice and then we have the, the actual aspect of the mind, more concentration or shamata aspect of the mind, the ability for the mind to become stable and fixed on something for a longer duration, but in a very, very focused way. This, this one um, is not emphasized that much. Uh, and so therefore, there is a deficiency in most practitioners actually having true concentration. There's a practice that many of the Long Beach Sangha, we've gone over this practice quite a bit, and I just want to emphasize it here. And that's uh, something that I call, uh, it's just known that the three one meditation, and this is three minutes of concentration on, and then one minute pause. So three minutes of full concentration, and then one minute pause. We have to really understand the, the neurosis of the mind is continuous. It's continuously grasping and and just off you know off the, the leash. And so having a focused practice to bring the mind back and really come back into control uh, uh, directing the mind. Is of utmost importance right now. And so this practice is very, very, very simple. Very, very simple practice. It's taking an object, maybe 10 inches, 12 inches, something somewhat small, and you can rest the eyes here. And you're not and you're not analyzing the object. You're just resting the focus of the eyes on the object. And it can be out. You know in front of you maybe a couple feet and for three minutes you can set a timer on your phone for three minutes you're just focused on this external object what's really great about an external object right now too is that it's very solid for the mind so when we turn the mind inward we can have a lot of you know, a lot of things coming up but an external fixed um, inanimate object right now is really really um, calming for the mind. It, traditionally, a lot of times a Buddha statue is used. You could you could use anything. It doesn't matter. Try not to make it so ornate. So maybe something fairly uh, basic in nature so the mind doesn't want to keep analyzing. And you remember to blink and you're doing this for three minutes and then you rest for about a minute. You don't need to, you can set this alarm on your phone or something, but don't set the alarm for the one minute part, just rest for a minute or so, and then the mind is back for, for three minutes. If anyone has a question about that, let me know, um, but if not, we'll just go ahead and do one. Yeah, so we'll do that after. So we'll do we'll do this practice now and <clears throat> and like I said if if you have an object in front of you cool you could just literally stare at a dot of the, on the wall you can do this with anything so just kind of choose something out in front of you and, and again you're just resting your attention here so so think of the the mind chitta just bringing the mind focused on something very narrow um and i have a, some of a bright light staring in my face so I might, I might not be able to actually hold my eyes bright open um cuz i'm off to the side of it already but um but i'm going to go ahead and time us and just see how the mind can how how it can do just resting in one particular place for a few minutes and again not analyzing When the mind wanders, bring it back, rest the eyes here, letting all the thoughts in, letting all the thoughts out. Not a problem. They're just running in the background and you're resting your gaze on something out in front of you, okay? All right. So I'll give you guys a few seconds to just get ready. Taking a couple breaths on your own. And then beginning. And then allowing your eyes to open, or your eyes are open, but go ahead and stopping the full concentration and just resting in awareness. You can just allow the mind to relax, rest in open awareness, releasing the object. Feel aware but allowing the mind not to be so narrow in its concentration. And just checking in, checking in with yourself to see how that went. How was the mind? Maybe type in, if you don't mind, if you want to, if any of you could type in and just let me know how, how that went, just to have three minutes of full focus, full concentration. It was good, not so good, difficult, easy. Amber says calming. Um, Kate says the mind feels tired from that. Um, difficult from claire S- uh, surprisingly uh, opening calming shorter than i thought from lars shorter than i thought it would difficult for those of you who are writing difficult maybe what well, part was difficult intense interesting is it difficult to st- stay focused and claustrophobic. Interesting. The object seems to dissolve. Yeah, the eyes will play tricks on you when you do this meditation. <laughs> it, it it can do funny stuff. The more I tried to concentrate on, I can't see the rest of that. Claustrophobic. Yeah. Hard to concentrate. Yeah. So to Kate mentioned that, that the mind feels tired, um, this is important to note because on a couple different ways is that, so when we're focusing on this and the mind feels fatigued, or when we're training, so the mind can just feel fatigued, but also to pay attention to how your effort to stay there is being delivered. So how the energy of the mind is delivering its attention you could notice that it's, you could notice and through experience that you might need a little bit less effort. It's more like resting, resting the mind on the object as of, as opposed to really strong focus. So if we have, if we bring this attitude of super strong concentration, then the mind can be fatigued. Like, oh, I'm going to concentrate every moment. Or... Calm, abiding, as the Tibetans say. Shiné, calm, abiding. Shiné. I'm just resting my attention here. Just resting. This and then mind is wandering. I bring it back. Resting the attention here. So, so the experiences. So when it's difficult, I saw like um, Shannon and Bob, like difficult to focus, difficult to concentrate. Um, recognize, remember, like this is when we're trying. It's only three minutes, and we're putting putting forth full effort. And most of our minds are like this. Most of our our minds. This is fairly universal. That three minutes is a long time. Long time to focus. And yet in our existence it's a very short amount of time and so we want to recognize the need for that and and to develop some spiritual urgency saying that if if i don't have control of where my mind is there's no way for those other things to develop so this is something that i i really want to train in on a daily basis i really want to focus on on uh, bringing the mind back to something That I want to bring it back to. It's it's crucial so I can move towards more of whatever I want to move towards. So, claustrophobic, I haven't heard that one before, but it's all valid. Like, we want to look at what the mind is doing and, and all of its experiences and just keep openness to it, saying, okay, this is how it feels when the mind maybe brought into a smaller space, you know. Obviously, with concentration, it doesn't need to be narrow on an object like this. We could do this with 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 open awareness, too. We could do a 3-1 meditation with open awareness. We could do it like this, but it's actually, for most of us, it's more difficult because open awareness is so subtle. So, actually bringing the mind down to something that's inanimate, fixed, and whatnot, is usually easier for the mind to come back to. What other questions? I made a lot come in, but I couldn't see everything. Can this be done with sounds? Um, Bob said, um, absolutely, it can be done with sounds. Uh, again, the experiment is is, does the mind... Does the mind, your mind, just checking in to see how it reacts to different anchors. So with the thing with sound is that it's it's very active and it's moving and it's shifting and changing. And in some way, this can be stimulating for the mind and, and actually allow it to uh, to have more stability in a way. But it could also, in time, it could also allow the mind to meander meander off because it's more dynamic where an external fixed object is just more solid and then the mind has a stronger anchor to come back to but yeah this is kind of this this is maybe what maybe like a first object would be external fixed outside of yourself and then it can move definitely into more subtle objects as you go
0: okay from cynthia how many rounds of this uh, practice are good or uh Good for
1: beginners. Great, uh, great. So um, Cynthia asked mm-hmm. how many rounds, three rounds. So this could be like a 12-minute meditation. So three minutes on, one minute off, three minutes on, one minute off, three minutes on, one minute off. Yeah. You still appear to be on. Yeah, I'm still on. Okay. Uh, Don's just okay. feeding me questions, that's okay. why the pa- I'm pausing. <laughs> I think we're good. Um, um, I saw another is question coming. Yeah, in. Is,
0: the, is this uh, from Don? Uh, is that similar to what potentially happens with breath as the anchor? Um, what
1: potentially happens? Can you clarify, Don? <laughs> um, he's asking if the same thing happens with the breath, but I'm not quite sure
0: yeah i'm gonna unmute Dawn. If that's okay
1: Okay, yeah okay i'm so muting dawn but on zoom so the facebook people i would i will just reiterate um her question
0: okay dawn hey, good morning everybody thank you Casey. good morning So, my question and i think you sort of
1: resolved it um is when we are doing our breath meditation and using breath as anchor is it is that also to have that single focused concentration um, because of the other potential for being dragged off with other um, phenomenon, other stimuli. Whereas with a visual concentrated meditation, it's easier to develop that concentration. Someone was asking
0: about sound, Mm -hmm. would that
1: Yeah, right here it's um, it's all about intensity, and then also too, we're kind of removing the vipassana aspect. We're just focusing on the concentration aspect. Um, so we could do this with any object, but if you notice, it's really short and very intense. So like if we're doing um, if we're doing a breath meditation, a breath meditation for example has a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of subtleties. If you're focusing here, if you're focusing on the abdomen, if you're focusing on just breathing in long, breathing in short, there's a lot of dynamic factors, so the the mind can kind of go a lot of different ways with that. Plus, two, you're taking like with sound, you're taking something that is um, showing impermanence, it's showing interdependence and emptiness, so it has a, it has more opportunity for insights. Where an external object, even though it's still always possible. that to arise this is more just a pure concentration practice and that's all we're focusing on we're not really focusing on the opportunity for insights to arise it's just that full concentration short like like a sprint you know and and then really structured around taming that aspect of the mind that real full focus
0: Um, I see that Sandy's hand is raised, but I'm gonna, Lars' question came in first. Okay, <clears throat> He says, it's hard for me to return to an object when I practice metta. I lose focus of the people I'm picturing. Mm-hmm. I understand returning to the breath better. Is there a way to develop better metta concentration?
1: Yeah, so Lars was asking that. He has a hard time in loving kindness practice returning to the object of of loving kindness like whoever um I, I see your okay let me answer this <laughs> so who coming back to the object whoever he's sending loving kindness towards so this is this is a perfect example of why of why we're doing this concentration practice. It, so the answer Lars is combining these two practices. So like you mentioned, it is easier for you to come back to your breath. Um, so what you want to do is you want to come back to the breath and, and really stimulate, if that works for you, to stimulate your concentration uh, skills and to, to strengthen them or do this practice. This practice is going to really, really, really assist your loving kindness practice. I've told a story plenty of times when I went to my first loving kindness retreat the first day and a half or two days it was full it was fully dedicated to concentration and this is why so i would just incorporate this along with it along with your loving kindness practice and then um ali asked uh, why take a minute off what does that do um can we can we go on um the the one minute off gives the mind a chance to relax, to really be at ease because of that fatigue factor. Um, somebody who has had, is, uh, been a practitioner for a much you know, longer period of time, where three minutes in full focus, yes, they can definitely extend this out. You can just see feel, what feels right for you. Um, but remember too, that this is not an endurance one, not an endurance practice. It is short for a reason uh, just to have that full focus. So if that full focus for you is 6 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, that would, that's wonderful. You could always extend that out. But 3 minutes is usually uh, a really good place to start.
0: Okay. From uh, Shannon, how does one relax while trying hard to concentrate with this t-
1: Did someone have their hand raised before that? Um, Sandy did, but she
0: dropped off. Okay. And then what was her? Uh, How does one relax while trying hard to concentrate with this type of meditation?
1: So Shannon's saying, how does one relax when you're trying hard to concentrate? Um, So it sounds like a paradox that we're relaxing to concentrate, but how we concentrate is actually by by non-grasping what is pulling us away, right? So it actually takes effort to grab onto a thought and, and move with it. And so when we when we relax, it's just like the mind is not grasping, so the mind can just be at ease. So the mind is naturally present. In fact, we need to grasp something to pull it away from natural presence. And so it, so when we relax the mind, that's when we're actually... In concentration when we're actually relaxed right now it takes effort it takes an effort to non-do because of habit but when we really look it's like that so that the efforting comes with actually just the awareness it's the mindfulness that takes the effort it's the remembering that takes the effort after we remember to be on the object so when the mind goes away the effort is to notice that it goes away And then as soon as we notice that it's gone away, to stay on the object, all it takes is presence. Because if you have presence, you'll notice that a thought just came up and you don't need to follow it. It's just the awake part. As long as you're awake, you're not going to move away from the object. As soon as you fall asleep, you get tugged, you know, the the thought grabs you, you're away. So this is what, what we mean by resting. You're resting in the natural state. If you gave up everything, if you gave up all your thoughts, beliefs, concepts, you gave away, gave up the meditation, you gave up the meditator and all this stuff, you'd you'd just be awake. You can't give up your wakefulness. You can't throw that off. It's just here. And so we're finding stability and naturally
0: arising wakefulness. Okay, so from... Yo-yo-yo is so I think. Mm-hmm. That's um, awesome. <laughs> is it more important to stay with the object during concentration or more important to notice when it wanders and come back to the object? In the beginning,
1: it's actually more important of noticing when the mind wanders because that's what's happening more often. So... So Soleil was asking, is it more important to notice when the mind wanders, or is it more important to hold the mind down on the object? Well, we're practicing holding the mind down on the object. That's the actual, the reason why we're doing this practice. So the concentration piece holding it down. But, but it's more important because what's happening more often is the mind's wandering away. So catching it when the mind wanders away that's going to be the, the first piece of the puzzle, right? So catching that is going to be, I would say more important, and yet we're practicing once the mind being held down, really, really focusing on it, not leaving. You know, so it, it's all it's all mixed in, you know but but what's going to happen more, what we need what we need to practice on first is coming back because this is just the mind so untrained. But they all go together because like i mentioned once we're on the object we're holding the mind down on the object if we keep that vigilance we're going to be we're we're going to be able to watch in more and more subtle ways how the mind is pulled away when it's pulled away how you know that that tugging
0: part and be able to stay on the object from kate Could we start with insight meditation for a few minutes and then start a few cycles of three, then one? Would that help us relax first? Yeah, just,
1: yeah, experiment. Experiment for you. I would say this is a good, really good experiment in general to what softens the mind for you. What brings the mind back into a state of balance? For me, I like to start every meditation with kind of how we started today, you know, taking refuge, paying homage to the teachers, um, setting the intention, motivation, and then most importantly, loving kindness practice. Doesn't matter what practice I'm going to do after that, because for me, it brings the mind to into right effort. So if my mind is agitated, loving kindness brings it, it brings it down from that agitation. If if my mind is dull loving kindness and compassion will lift my it'll brighten up my mind right so no matter what for me I, I i do love and kindness first so experiment with you some people really might like to do this this practice first and it's like really brings a lot of energy to the mind and then they could do whatever they want after that but just experiment what's what's right for Thank you, Kate. So, I just want to finish with um. Just to recap, the importance of kind of like the theme for the talk is, is is effort. This is um like like I mentioned, not a time for lackluster practice. Um, we're very very fortunate, very very lucky, and this is to say, you know, obviously mixed in with a ton of compassion and loving kindness for yourself if you're not. You know, able to practice as much as you can. This all goes you know with it of course, but rely on your teachers, rely on the teachings. Um, you know obviously I'm, I'm available. reach out to me. If you have questions about your practice, just direct message me. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, email, Casey at insidela.org. Um, I'm serious about that. Like if any questions about your practice, um, email me, reach out, reach out to your other teachers you can bug them. Uh, they signed up to be a teacher, so bug them. <laughs> That's what my teacher would always say: bug your teachers, um, and and most of all, trust in yourself, trust in your in your own uh, Buddha nature, in your own resilience. Uh, have confidence during this time. Like we want to be there for others. Ultimately, we have to really come into a place of of calm within ourselves the benefit of all beings i really think that we are extremely fortunate as practitioners to have these these tools and that i know personally i i'm I'm so happy to be here i'm so happy to be here at this time i'm so happy to be of service in any way possible and for the spiritual communities to really um, exemplify resilience um, using our inner resource tools is incredibly impactful uh, and it's powerful during this time so really uh, honor all of this by doing your practice If you've given we've been given all these tools we don't want to just have them just sit there and say oh you know not not in the mood to, to use them right now um, it's just not honoring what we've been given right so move into your practice and be kind to yourself and others during this time and and Let's continue to connect and be with one another every chance that we get. Uh, we have the Saturday Montecito Center is is on Zoom, and then Inside LA has you know a lot of offerings all online, and then we come together here on, on Sundays. So Cindy, much love to all of you, and a big virtual hug, hugging, hugging, hugging. <laughs> um, all right, thank you all very very much. And um, as we close, I'm just going to say a prayer dedicating the merit as we close today. Speaking of speaking of community and connection, just dedicating the merit of all the goodness, all the wisdom and compassion that's been generated together here today. Just wishing That it can make contact with all beings everywhere without exception. That all beings everywhere can find more happiness and less suffering. You have just listened
0: to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org.